0: Welcome to Retire Smarter with Kevin Krosky. Find answers to your toughest questions and get educated about the financial world. It's time to retire smarter. Well, it's time for another edition of Retire Smarter. Get ready to get smarter when it comes to your retirement. On today's show, Walter Storholt here alongside Kevin Krosky, President and Wealth Advisor at True Wealth Design. Serving you throughout Northeast Ohio with offices in Akron and Canfield. Find us online at truewealthdesign.com. And Kevin, before we go too far down the road, I want to make sure that if folks are interested in learning more, if, if you clicked on today's show, I'm going to guess you have a slight interest in snowbirding. And we want to tell you a little bit about the guide that Kevin has put together specifically for snowbirds so it's the ohioans guide to snowbirding in florida and this is something kevin that you've put together to help people kind of learn all the nuances some of which we're going to go over on today's show but all the nuances and things to consider when it comes to making that decision to start living part or even the majority of the year in a new location and uh, all the layers that are involved in that decision and if anybody wants to get that guide before we even dive into the conversation today you can just look at the link that's in the description of today's show you'll see a link for the guide you click on that that'll take you to a contact page where you can reach out to kevin and request the guide so just check the description of today's show for that or if you're already on the website listening uh, you can just click on the contact form at truewealthdesign.com that's truewealthdesign.com and for the those of you who are old school and want to use the phone, that's fine as well. 855-TWD-PLAN. 855-TWD-PLAN. Call in and just request the guide. Kevin's going to know what you're talking about. If you mention the words snowbird and guide, we'll narrow it down from there and know what you're looking for. But helpful guide that you've put together, Kevin, and we're going to dive into some of the details that are in that guide on today's show, which should be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, so on the last episode, you know, we talked more about some high level tips uh, and then factors that really go into your retirement plan, understanding the cash flows, fitting into your retirement plan. And uh, this time, we're really going to be going into specifically for Ohioans, really documenting your domicile and uh, for the purpose of avoiding Ohio state income taxes. So uh, there's a lot of details that go into this. The law has changed a lot over the years and um, the old, well, hey, if I'm just outside of Ohio for six months, uh, I'm good. Uh, That that really doesn't apply. So we're going to actually walk you through it talk about you know some of the background to it, what the law was, how it's changed uh, so you don't get caught up by some of the people that had tax court cases brought against them um, by uh, the state and uh, how to do it right. So that's what we're going to get into today.
0: All right, so let's dive into it. I enjoyed all those four tips, which, by the way, if you didn't listen to the previous episode, definitely go check it out. Four tips to snowbirding in Florida and uh, covering lots of different ground on that particular episode. Uh, but on today's episode, we're going to go in more into the nuances of uh, what was the second tip in the previous show, and that's kind of determining your residency. Do you do it in Florida? Do you do it in Ohio? And the big myth that we kind of dispelled in that last episode, Kevin, was you can't just live in a place for six months a day, and say, okay, I've I've claimed residency there. That's the wise choice, or the thing that you should automatically do. A lot more pieces to the conversation, and we're going to dive into that now.
1: We are, and so an important concept to remember is you can have more than one home, but you can only have one domicile. And domicile, at least as uh, it's defined legally, and as I understand it, it's more of a it's kind of this gray area. Uh, It's really not defined legally. It's been more defined through court cases. And it's uh, somewhat subjective because um, it, it really goes about your intent. Really, what's, what is your home? What do you consider to be your home? And, and what sort of actions do you do that actually support that intent? So if you think about it, if you were, I don't know, extravagantly wealthy and had, say, 12 different homes all over the world and, uh, or 12 different states, let's keep it domestic, but you spent one month in each home. So, in none of the homes did you really meet, you know, the six-month test there, and you have stuff everywhere. So, in a case like that, you know, what is your home? Um, so, historically, what that has meant is, you know, things like voter registration. Where do you vote? Um, where is your driver's license uh, held? Uh, is it Ohio? Is it Florida? Is it some other state? What address do you put on your tax return? Um, before technology came, it was even more uh, about. Well, uh, what's the address on your credit card statements? With your bank, where your tax and financial and legal people, you know, really where where all those things kind of culminate, or at least have in certain court cases, to go ahead and try to support a taxpayer's intent on where their domicile is or is not. Uh, so again, you can only you, you can only have one domicile, uh, but you can have more than one residency, and and these are somewhat subjective. But thankfully. Ohio specifically has what they call more of a bright-line statute, and and that's what we'll get into next. And so bright-line really means... Just an objective statute, you know. If you do these things, then you are going to be considered a non-resident for state income tax purposes. And actually, before I even get there, let me back up a moment. I don't think I mentioned this, but um, the other important concept here is if you're an Ohio resident, then you must pay Ohio income tax on worldwide income. Um, So it doesn't matter if you know you were earning some income in another state, you're still Ohio, that's your domicile, that's where we're paying state income tax. Now, if you paid state income tax in that other state, it will work as a a credit to an offset on your your Ohio state income tax. Uh, However, if there there is no other tax that you pay, say you go to a non-tax state like Florida or Texas, but you're still that Ohio resident, then you're paying Ohio income tax. So that's important. So again, Ohio residents must pay Ohio income tax on worldwide income. If you're a non-resident, however, you only pay Ohio income tax on the income earned or received in Ohio. So what does that mean? Well, take a simple example, the office building where True Wealth is. Uh, So it's a building that I own uh, through a corporate entity. And even though I'm a Florida resident, um, that's my domicile. I still have Property, income producing property in Ohio. So, yes, I'm going to be subject to Ohio, potentially subject to Ohio state income tax on that property because it's physically located in Ohio. Um, So, that's uh, an example there where you could be a non resident uh, for Ohio income tax, but the income that you receive in Ohio would then be taxed there. Uh, So important to remember. um, So if you talk about residency, then if you are a resident for Ohio income tax purposes, it means you're going to be domiciled here. So we talked about domicile and the fact that it's really more subjective and intent-based. However, some years ago, Ohio got into a more bright line test uh, legally in the Ohio Revised Code and uh, really came up with this period uh, or this concept of contact periods. So this kind of gets to that old adage about the six months, if you're outside of Ohio for six months, then then you're fine. And, and again, that's not exactly the whole story and it's not even accurate any longer. But if, and think of a contact period as basically spending the night in Ohio. An example that I, I've given before, you know, we have a client where this is actually true. Uh, they fly into Ohio a lot of times back from Florida, and they'll visit with one of their kids um, outside of the Cleveland Akron Canton Airport for, you know, say the afternoon, uh, and then they'll drive back to another child that lives outside of Pittsburgh and spend the night there. So they flew from Florida, came back to Ohio, certainly had contact with Ohio, right? They flew into the airport. They got the rental car there, and then uh, they visited family there, and then but then they went to Pennsylvania and stayed overnight with the other child. Well, the way that Ohio defines a contact period, that actually does not qualify for them as having a contact period with Ohio because they didn't spend the night in Ohio. They spent the night in Pennsylvania. So it's just simpler to think about in terms of how many nights that you spend in Ohio, but that's kind of the the thing that uh, comes about uh, of causing a contact period. And uh, the other thing that's important is in 2015, then Governor Kasich signed legislation that increased the number of contact periods that you were allowed to have uh, as a non-resident from 182 all the way up to 212. So this is approximately, you know, going from those, that six months to seven months. So it's contact periods though, that's really kind of the detail and the important measuring piece there. It's not just saying six or seven months, it's 182 to as many as 212 contact periods uh, with Ohio. So gives you a lot of latitude. My understanding was that uh, there was, I believe some research done showing that uh, if the prior legislation with the 182 was too onerous and really people were still meeting it, they just weren't coming back to Ohio uh, and staying outside of Ohio for longer. And the net impact was Ohio would be better off by having a less stringent uh, contact period requirement. So they said, "Hey, let's. We'd rather have these people being in Ohio, spending their dollars here. It's going to be a net positive for the state. So let's give them some more flexibility. We'll go from the 182 to the 212 contact periods." So I, I, that's all kind of secondhand, but uh, that's what I had heard from somebody that I know and respect. So I guess whatever the reason, that's <laughs> that's the law of the land. So if you go over the allotted contact periods you are presumed to be domiciled in Ohio and thus pay income taxes in Ohio on your worldwide income. Uh, So you can technically rebut this assumption with uh, what a court case had called clear and convincing evidence to the contrary. But uh, for all intent and purposes, I've been told by attorneys that have argued state and local tax issues that it's pretty much not going to happen. It's very difficult to prove that. So that change was made in 2015. A court case happened actually later that year uh, that kind of got somebody caught up. And even though they had met the contact period test, uh, they did some other things that we'll talk about in a moment uh, that went counter to that. And uh, they got ensnared in Ohio income taxes and penalties and interest to the tune of somewhere around $10,000. And what happened then in 2018 after the court case was resolved was they amended the law. And uh, now Ohio has an irrebuttable presumption. So uh, I've never heard those. Irrebuttable, oh wow. Irrebuttable presumption of non-Ohio domicile. uh, As long as you have no more than 212 contact periods, and you meet some other conditions. Uh, So we'll go over those other conditions in a moment, but this is that bright line test that I mentioned. So you don't have to go through, you know, moving your voter registration. Well, I won't say you don't have to do that, but it's not gonna be kind of all these facts and circumstances and some of this subjectivity. It's taking that out of the equation, making a bright line test, and uh, as the way that Ohio puts it is having an irrebuttable presumption Provided that you have no more than those two hundred and twelve contact periods and you meet some other conditions.
0: Interesting to see that this is something that like it's not like this law's just been sitting there and the rules are the rules. There's kind of constant changes happening in and around this whole concept of being a snowbird. I mean, obviously, it's popular enough to where it needs to be kind of regulated or talked about or decided upon from a legal standpoint. So kind of interesting to see that. I I just guess I sort of thought it would be the kind of thing if someone set the rules up long ago, and they've just sort of stayed that way. But no, it's like everything else, kind of a constantly changing landscape.
1: Uh, Yeah. And I mean, I think you have a lot of Laws that are tweaked because you know they were written with a certain intent, that intent was not followed, or there was maybe the law was not as well drafted and clear, and that was the case here, where again something happened after the 2015 amendment to the 212, uh, where the taxpayer got caught up. Uh, in Ohio income tax and so some of the things uh, that came out of that they just said hey let's make this a little bit clearer and let's have this irrebuttable presumption so the intent that we started with is really uh, gonna be met um, at least they think. So we'll see if there's more court cases after this, but irrebuttable presumption sounds pretty good to me. So that's um, definitely our word
0: of the week right there.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. uh, Yes. I love these uh, legalese stuff that you, (laughs) that you come across here. So the other requirements that are also uh, need to be met, I'll just go through them here. But so again, no more than 212 contact periods, you need to have at least one abode outside of Ohio where depreciation is not claimed, uh, and it's claimed under a specific section of the tax code. But, you know, in short, you know, your primary residence. You, you don't depreciate. You know you only depreciate property that uh, is income-producing, like a rental property. So your primary residence, you don't depreciate, and generally speaking, so uh, that's all that that's saying there. So it can't be, you can't say, hey, I have an Ohio house, but I have this other house, and I rent it out some, but I stay there some too, and I'm going to depreciate it, and then I'm also going to say I'm uh, a non-resident for Ohio income tax purposes. That doesn't fly. Uh, so no more than 212 contact periods uh, have a, a home or a boat outside of Ohio where depreciation is not claimed, did not hold a valid Ohio driver's license at any time during the taxable year. So this is another important one. Uh, you didn't have an Ohio driver's license at any time during the taxable year. So when you think about this, it kind of gets into, well, you know, hey, maybe I bought this place in Florida, say mid-year, I'm going through all this stuff and going to go ahead and change my license. But there's a transition year. You know, I go from being an Ohio driver's license and an Ohio resident to being Florida. So everything that we're talking about here is really, you have to have it for the whole year. Uh, so there's some planning we're not going to get into today, but there's a transition year before you can really, you know, have your Florida driver's license for the entire year, or Arizona or whatever state it may be. Again, the key is that you didn't hold a valid Ohio driver's license at any time during the taxable year. So you're always going to have a transition year uh, that you just need to be mindful about, and then some more of those uh, old rules about, you know, subjective intent is more so going to apply. Additionally, you did not receive the Ohio homestead property tax exemption. So this is Uh, Basically, it saves Ohio seniors that qualify about $500 on average on their property taxes. But you have—it's a pretty low income level that you have to have for it to qualify, and it's about $33,000 in 2019 of Ohio adjusted gross income. And Ohio doesn't tax Social Security, so uh, you know if you say if you have. 30,000 of income from your IRA coming out and you have 60,000 between a husband and wife and social security income. And you can have a nice lifestyle with $90,000, uh, of taxable income coming in, but it looks at least on Ohio that it, that you don't have that much money. So you, it's kind of counterintuitive in a way. Most people that are going to have two homes that uh, have to worry about documenting your domicile like we're talking about are, are going to be higher income people. But you could conceivably have somebody with you know somewhere in the neighborhood of $100,000 of income, quite a nice lifestyle, certainly can support two homes uh, if they didn't have mortgages on them as well as their lifestyle at that level. And they could potentially qualify for the Ohio... Uh, homestead exemption. In fact, we have a client, uh, exact same uh, situation. Uh, actually, in their 70s, and it's going to be more advantageous to be a Florida resident and have their domicile there. And uh, I just went and looked on their property tax bill and found, like, well, hey, you know, you're you're claiming this Ohio homestead exemption. It's saving you a few hundred dollars. You know, if we actually change your domicile to Florida. Selling a business interest uh, in the not too distant future, but it's going to save them in the neighborhood of twenty to thirty thousand dollars. So, you know, what do you like better, five hundred dollars or twenty to thirty thousand? So obviously, I,
0: no I, oh, you should have asked me that one. I that was a that was one that had <laughs> me written all over it. There, Kim.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I, I don't think I've actually asked you a question. That was a good uh, chance
0: for a win today.
1: Man. <laughs> I'm sorry, buddy. I'm sorry.
0: I'll do my best to circle back here on something else. But that's a significant difference. You just kind of threw that out very casually. Uh, you said a couple of hundred dollars one direction, and then we're talking twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 the other direction. Significant dollars.
1: Huge, and it's not as um, you know selling a business interest. This is kind of outside the the scope of the, today's conversation because it can get pretty complex about you know how is he is he actively involved in the company? Uh, is he not? Is it a passive investment? And some of the tax ramifications on that are different. But in his case, he will uh, he can go ahead and uh, if he changes his domicile to Florida, which he's been going to Florida for years uh he and his wife uh they've have a place down in Naples and uh I don't it's probably been close to ten years or so now that they've been going down there. But uh they're active in the local political scene here in northeast Ohio. There's some other benefits that they like to avail themselves of and they they've never just went ahead and made the switch. Uh but when it gets up to twenty 000 to thirty thousand dollars of tax savings I haven't got confirmation yet that they're going to be making the switch, but (laughs) my guess is, and I feel pretty safe in making it, is that they are in fact going to make the switch, at least for some period of time. So yeah, definitely very important. If you are receiving the Ohio Homestead property tax exemption, you have to go ahead under penalty of perjury, say that it is your primary residence. So if you are telling Ohio, hey, I qualify for this homestead property exemption. Let me save my approximately five hundred bucks, and then you go down and to Florida, and you're saying no. That's really my primary residence down there. You you can't you can't do both because you're gonna have to sign another form under penalty of perjury, uh, saying that that you're not receiving this Ohio homestead property tax exemption. And in fact, if we go back to when the law was changed in 2015, and then it was amended in 2018, one of the items that got this uh, taxpayer ensnared with the law and one of the reasons why the amendment was made was because he was double dipping. He was stating that the Ohio Homestead property tax exemption applied to him. He stated that under the penalty of perjury. But then he also said, well, no, I'm a non-resident for state income tax purposes. So those two statements conflicted with one another. Um, there were some other facts and circumstances in his case, but that was a big one. And uh, that was certainly one of the things that got him ensnared and one of the reasons why he had to pay about $10,000 to Ohio in addition to what I'm sure amounted to Much, much more in legal bills to go ahead and and see it through the state court system. So the next one is not only can you not double dip for the homestead property tax exemption, but if you have, uh, say, dependents uh, in, who are benefiting from the Ohio in-state resident tuition, say for some you know, college or technical school or some sort of higher education, well, that doesn't work either. Uh, again, you can't double dip like that. So no property tax exemption in Ohio and also no in-state resident tuition benefits either. So, uh, And then lastly, there is a form that you have to file both timely and accurately in Ohio. It's basically form ITNRS. NRS stands for non-resident statement. And uh, that needs to be filed by October 15th. uh, Or if you do have to file an Ohio uh, tax return, Then uh, you should really submit it with the Ohio tax return uh, if that's sooner than the 15th. So that's important to know. The other thing that's important to know is that actually has to be done each year for which you are claiming non residency. So if you say, if you're doing that for 2020, and you want the same uh, that irrebuttable presumption in 2021, well, you have to attest that you had no more than 212 contact periods, that you did have at least one abode outside of Ohio and didn't claim depreciation on it, that you didn't hold a valid Ohio's driver's license uh, at any time during the entire year, that you didn't go ahead and try to double dip and take that Ohio Homestead property tax exemption or benefit from in-state resident tuition. And then again, you have to file that both timely and accurately form uh, to attest to your non-resident statement. Um, So you have to do that year in and year out. Filling out the form in 2020 is not going to protect you in 2021 or going backwards 2019 or years prior. So that's really important uh, to remember. So this is another one of those things where if you are a snowbird, I would kind of lump this into your your tax planning that you need to do. So we always like to say there's kind of three core things that we do year in year out for our clients. It's you know their retirement planning, updating it and making sure that they're staying on track. Their tax planning uh, and preparation, as well as their investment planning, and all those things need to be done in concert with one another. And if you're a snowbird, I would add this to the list, and in my uh, opinion, it really falls under the tax planning that you need to do because you certainly want that bright line test and that irrevocable presumption rather than try to argue something subjectively.
0: Kevin, is there anything that needs to be done from a record keeping standpoint for all of these different contact periods that kind of proves where you are and how you were there? And I mean, how do you kind of like keeping, I guess, you know, mileage logs for tax purposes? Is there anything that kind of makes it official in the eyes of the IRS?
1: Well, it it wouldn't be the IRS. This would actually be the state tax uh, departments. But it depends. I mean, for our case, my case specifically. uh, So you know, we're driving down to Florida right after Christmas. At least I'm driving down uh, with the dog, and my wife is flying down with the girls soon thereafter. Takes me two or three days to make the great migration down. You know, I'm going to be getting gas on the way down. It's going to be on my credit card statement. Uh, my wife is flying down. Uh, on your credit card statement, it's going to show, you know, who bought tickets, you know, what date were they for. So, in today's day and age, uh, a lot of the stuff that you're going to have is already going to be kind of tracking it. And in fact, if there is some sort of residency audit, rest assured they're going to want to see this stuff. Um, so, you know, if we go down there. And we just stay down there, say for, you know, for about five months or so, uh, and uh, then we come back. And so we don't have any more than the 212 contact periods in Ohio. Then it's pretty simple. You know, we really don't need to do anything further to go ahead and substantiate uh, that we met that. Now, if you're going back and forth, uh, certainly there's a little bit more to it, and you may have to go ahead and, and document a little bit more clearly. But Again, if you're driving, you're going to get gas. Uh, you're going to have receipts for that. Um, I mean, me personally, uh, I just put everything I can on a credit card and pay it off monthly, and so we have that uh, that track record there built in. I don't have to say, well, I paid cash in this state and that state, and you know, tra- you know, let's go back and let's look at the videotape that uh, that I always see them r- scrolling through on Dateline when they're trying to find a killer. Um, <laughs> But did you know, he just enter put, the convenience store or not? <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> did he cross over to 213 contact periods? Um, so I would say that's the easy thing to do. Uh, you know, when I come back on, I'll, I may come back on business to Ohio uh, a couple of days, but for me, it's pretty easy. You know, I'm not on the road traveling a ton, you know, and also even if you're going down to Florida and snowboarding, it's not to say that you have to be in Florida for all those other days. You just can't have more contact periods in Ohio. You still have to have your, your abode outside of Ohio for the year as well. So you still have to meet all these requirements, but, um, a client that is, uh, you know, ponta Gorda buying a home, they are going to travel to Europe a good bit. They own some property over in Luxembourg. They're going to probably spend a month or so over there. Uh, that's fine too. Uh, and again, when they buy those tickets, those plane tickets, they're going to see like, well, they bought these plane tickets. They had some charges over in Luxembourg. Um, so you're going to, in today's day and age, I think it's pretty easy to go ahead and have this paper trail that's automatically built in and substantiated. I did, however, just see an article, depending on your smartphone and the apps and what you allow them to track, some of them track your location, whether you're using the app or not. I was really astonished to find, I went into uh, Google app settings and it really had all my locations and tracked over the last three years. It was kind of freaky and i mean just had me uh, very cool place. but
0: very freaky yes But
1: yeah bi- very too much big brother for me so i deleted that i turned it off of course google didn't warn me say hey you know <laughs> i'm gonna be big brother and just follow you around i'm sure there's other stuff that they're doing that would freak me out too then frankly i'm not aware of um ignorance is bliss to some regard but when i saw this map and all these places that i had gone i'm like wow um but if that doesn't freak you out. Um, that could certainly be something that could go ahead and substantiate where you've been as well. But for me, anyway, you know, I'm buying gas when I'm driving, I'm buying plane tickets when I'm flying. I put everything on a credit card that's getting me a lot of the way there.
0: So unless you're living off the grid, as you do the snowbirding thing, you've probably got a pretty easy traceable record where you could prove it if you needed to, uh, in the event that that would pop up. So otherwise take a picture of yourself each day, wherever you are with the <laughs> welcome, welcome to Florida sign in the background or something like that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Make sure it's time stamped and unalterable, right? That's
0: right. That's right. Either take it next to a palm tree or, you know, next to, a you know, the, the Buckeye, uh, there in Ohio, and then you'll be in good shape. You know, whatever's in the background will kind of dictate, you know know. how good a shape you're in so that's great Uh, well all I know all you cover all of these things how in-depth do you go into the guide that you've put together which by the way we, we mentioned at the beginning of the episode if you want to get the Ohioans guide to snowbirding in Florida, uh, you can get a free copy of that by contacting the show. Uh, to get in touch, you just go to truewealthdesign.com and click the contact button, and you can get in touch and just mention that you want the snowbirding guide, and Kevin will be sure to get it right to you. No cost to this, of course. Uh, it, again, is the Ohioan's Guide to snowbirding in Florida, or you can call 855-TWD-PLAN. That's 855-TWD-PLAN, and we'll put a link in the description of today's show where you can also get that. Guide. So if you want to just check that, no matter what app you're using to listen, look for the uh, link there in the description and you can request for free that snowbirding guide in Florida for Ohioans. Uh, how in depth do you go into the guide, Kevin? What else are people going to learn when they pick that up?
1: Well, there's some things you need to do when you're in Florida as well. Uh, so we basically build out a checklist. Most of our clients uh, that are snowbirds, it's Florida where they uh, fly to, <laughs> if you will. And uh, there's things you need to do in Florida to go ahead and get your property tax exemption set up down there, your homestead exemption and some other things. So we've just built this checklist. We It's one of those things where you have enough people doing it. It's a repeatable process. It makes sense for us to go ahead and document it to make sure that all of our clients are being compliant. Dotting their I's, crossing their T's, and making sure that they're going to avail themselves of that irrebuttable presumption of not paying uh, tax in Ohio. We have some other clients that go to Arizona. Arizona does have uh, state income taxes. That aren't too dissimilar to Ohio, uh, not as big of a deal there. We have a couple clients in Oregon uh, that uh, very high tax state that also uh, snowbird in different places that are lower tax. So you know, as we have more clients in more states, we'll continue to build this out. But uh, for us, we the Ohio to Florida is very common. Um, I will mention to you know, if you are in the state of New York or other high income tax states and property tax states, tax reform that happened in late 2017 uh, for a lot of people uh, in those states has really harmed them. It's limited their state and local and property tax deductions to $10,000 per year. And it's certainly plausible that they're actually paying a lot more in total tax than less, which is uh, was kind of more common uh, for most taxpayers. So those states, so what that has caused is more of these high-income people are now going to Florida and snowbirding and trying to change their domicile. And now you're getting more residency audits from states like New York. And I just saw a paper not too long ago, written by an attorney. It was, I can't remember the number, uh, but it was a very, very big number out of the residency audits that the state of New York uh, has done in 2019 and the amount of money that has resulted from that. So it does make sense. You have a domicile. And the way that the law works, as uh, my understanding of it, is that uh, you continue to have that domicile until you actually abandon it and reestablish domicile in another state. Uh, so you got to dot the i's, you got to cross the t's to get there. Florida is very common. There's some things that we need to do in Florida as well. So we've built out that checklist and we guide our clients through it. If you're not going to Florida, if you're an Ohioan and going somewhere else, certainly it's it's helpful there. If you are a different state uh, and not Ohio and going to Florida, it would certainly help. If you are in Oregon and looking to go to Arizona, it won't hurt, It's but it's going to have less applicability compared to the other cases that I gave.
0: Well, there you go. But if it does sound like that might be something helpful to you, you can get this again for free. The Ohio Winds Guide to Snowbirding in Florida. Check the description of today's show for a link where you can request that. Just mention you'd like to get the snowbirding guide and Kevin will hook you up. You can also just go directly to TrueWealthDesign.com and click the contact button there as well. Well, Kevin, thanks for taking us through this uh, this guide a, a little bit here and talking about this nuance of establishing residency and some of the layers that go into that equation. And we'll look forward to another great topic on the next show. We appreciate it.
1: All right. Thank you, Walter.
0: All right. And we will uh, talk to you again soon here on the show. Thanks so much for taking some time to listen. And uh, if you have any questions or comments, please don't hesitate to throw them our way. As always, you can reach us through the website at truewealthdesign.com or call the phone number 855-TWD-PLAN to get in touch. For Kevin Kroski, I'm Walter Storholt. We'll talk to you next time when we come right back here to Retire Smarter.